All right, Galatians chapter 5. We're going to look at verses 13 through 26. That's our goal anyway. I'm going to get a rough idea how late we started here uh, so I know where we are when we're going to stop. Uh, Galatians chapter 5, verses 13 through 26. I'm going to read this section to you and we'll see how far we get. All right, Paul goes on and says, For you were called to freedom, brothers, only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. But if you bite and devour one another, watch out that you're not consumed by one another. But I say, walk in the spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the spirit and the desires of the spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do. But... If you are led by the Spirit, you are not under law. Now the works of the flesh are evident. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. All right. A lot to cover. And like I say, chances are we won't get all the way through this tonight. We'll just see how far we get. And wherever we stop, we'll pick up next week. Go back to Galatians. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Galatians chapter 5, verse 13 says, You have been called to live a life of freedom. You are called to freedom, brothers. Now, I want to remind you of Galatians 5.1. Go back to Galatians 5.1. It says at the beginning of this chapter, For freedom, Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and don't sub submit again to a yoke of slavery. Now, as a reminder, what have we been set free from? We've already talked about this. What have we been set free from? Sin, the law, what else? Guilt. You've been set free from guilt. Do you, do you I mean, because when we talk about being set free from sin, does that mean you don't sin anymore? No, no, no. And we're going to deal with a lot of that tonight. I actually told my kids on the way over here, I said, I hope that you pay attention tonight because hopefully you'll hear tonight things I didn't learn until I'd been a Christian for 20, 30 years. When we deal tonight with the flesh versus the spirit and what really is our position in Christ and what we have available to us, yet knowing how to fight the battle against the flesh, what it means to be in Christ. And yet at the same time, as we read there at the end, it says that those who are in Christ have already crucified the flesh. But if I'm in Christ and I've already crucified the flesh, how come I still struggle against the flesh? And there's been a lot of confusion. And I want, we're going to take some time tonight to do a lot of deep looking at other parts of the scriptures to deal with this. And some of you, you might have been a Christian for 50 years and you still have that misunderstanding and a struggle. And I didn't experience much victory. I spent most of my Christian life, even though I was saved, dealing with guilt and shame and no victory, even though I tried my hardest to stop sinning. So tonight we're going to deal with that whole concept. And some of you are probably saying, I don't care if the kids listen, I want to listen. I know this much. We got to understand that you have already been set free from the power of sin and from guilt. All right. Now, 
You're no longer under law. That doesn't mean that God doesn't expect for us to live righteously. We've got to be real careful that we don't think, well, it doesn't matter what I do. We'll deal with all that tonight. But Jesus set us free so that we can live in the freedom He has bought for us. And so we also can be used of Him to bring others to His freedom. But we're not even going to get into bringing others to His freedom until we really understand what it means. So I'm going to ask you this question. How many of us really know what we were set free from and to whom we were bound? All right. How many of you really understand what you were set free from and to whom you were bound? All right. Do you know the answer? We know the answer if we take a written test, right? To whom were you bound? Satan. To Satan. You were bound to Satan. I thought you were saying to whom No. To who were we bound? We were bound to Satan. And so we can pass that test if it was a written test. But I'm not sure we Christians really understand what we have been set free from and who it was we were bound to. Because here's one of the reasons why I'm going to say this to you. As a pastor, you would be amazed, not just young people, but older folks as well. You would be amazed how many people have come to me over the years and asked this type of a question. If I go this close to sin, is it sin? Does it sound like somebody did? Well, the thing is this, does that sound like somebody who realizes they've been set free from bondage to Satan? If they want to go back and see how close I can get to him and still be legal. I know for myself way back when the Passion of the Christ movie came out. Remember that movie came out years ago. The thing that God really spoke to my heart about was this. And it was eye opening and it's still very vivid in my mind. It was this thought came to me. If Jesus went through all that to take my sin away, why do I still want to hold on to it? I was very, very convicted. So what I want to do is I want to take us back and let's take a look at what the scripture actually says about our being set free. Go to Isaiah 61. Isaiah 61. Look at verse 1. This is, of course, a very familiar um, Messiah prophecy that talks about the, the Messiah and what he was going to do. It says, The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me, because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, and the opening of the prison to those who are bound. Now, we live in America. It's hard for us to imagine captivity at all, isn't it? I mean, we don't like it if a red light holds us longer than we want it. I mean, let's be honest, right? Don't we get frustrated if a red light actually flips real quick and like, that wasn't a long enough cycle? We don't even like to be held that long by a light. And usually, if it's turning orange, we'll go through it. The whole idea of being a captive, the whole idea of being bound, I don't think many of us Christians even really understand. But the Bible says that before you were redeemed by Jesus Christ, before you were, were becoming part of his family, you were a captive, not only to sin, but you were, well, Jesus put it real clearly, you're a child of Satan. I don't think many of us really understood that. Oh, yeah, I know it did a few things that were probably not good, and I needed Jesus to take care of my sin problem that I had. But how many of us really understood that you were bound by Satan? Now, some of you got saved later in life, and you got some of the scars of sin. 
You probably understand it more than those of us who got saved as a young time, young kid in, ch in church, who grew up in a Christian home. But now, look at something else. Go to Luke 13. This really jumped out at me as I was doing this study here and kind of taking a look at this. Go to Luke 13 and look at what Jesus says here in verses 10 through 17. Luke 13, verses 10 through 17. It says, now he, Jesus, was teaching in one of the synagogues on the Sabbath. And behold, there was a woman who had a disabling spirit for 18 years. She was bent over and could not fully straighten herself. When Jesus saw her, he called her over and said to her, woman, you are freed from your disability. And he laid his hands on her and immediately she was made straight and she glorified God. But the ruler of the synagogue, synagogue, indignant because Jesus had healed on the Sabbath, said to the people, There are six days in which work ought to be done. Come on those days and be healed, and not on the Sabbath day. Then the Lord answered him, You hypocrites, does not each of you on the Sabbath untie his ox or his donkey from the manger and lead it away to water it? And ought not this woman, a daughter of Abraham, whom Satan bound for 18 years be loosed from this bond on the Sabbath day. As he said these things, all his adversaries were put to shame and all the people rejoiced at all the glorious things that were done by him. Look closely at how Jesus describes her situation. She had been bound by Satan. Folks, I don't think we understand the depths of what's really going on here, what's really happening in the spiritual realm. See, a lot of us think we have a whole lot more, well, I can do whatever I want and all this kind of stuff. Listen closely. If Satan were to have his way in your life, apart from the protection of God, even before you were saved and definitely after you're saved, if Satan were to have his way in your life, you'd be dead. You would be dead. And it's sad that when he lures us with his temptations, we think it's going to be fun and cool. I'll be honest with you. I don't want to sound righteous. Please don't hear it that. I don't want to sound judgmental. Please don't hear it that way as well. But Becky's birthday was on Sunday. And we did family celebration of her birthday in Orlando, doing all sorts of fun stuff. And I didn't see the Super Bowl. And I'm kind of glad. Lights went out anyway. Lights went out anyway, so <laughs> that's right. But now, for me, please hear this. This is coming from me, for me. This is the little bit that I've been hearing and the blips and the stuff. There's so much other stuff involved in that game that's of the world that I'm starting to get to the point where I'm saying, why does everybody think that's cool? We were sitting in a Chili's at the time that the Super Bowl was starting and there were TVs in that Chili's. And I saw one commercial of this close-up of a nerdy guy kissing a girl and I thought to myself, this is like one of the first ones. Yeah. I don't want to see any more. Mm -hmm. But you know what's sad? A lot of people don't even, we don't understand. No Folks, when we talk about being born again, we thank God for our salvation. How many of us really understand the cruel master that we have just been released from? We don't see it. Oh, he masquerades as an angel of light pretending to be things that he's not. And we still want to play with sin. We want to ask, how close can I get to Satan and still be okay with God? Do you, why would you want to even go back? Why would you even want to play with that stuff? Do we really understand 
that if Satan had his way, you'd be dead. You want proof? What happened to Job's family when God released his protection and said, you can't touch Job? He killed everybody, except for the wife. But we already saw that she's on his team. She was on his team at least for a while. <laughs> Folks, let me just tell you, I don't think, realize you, I don't think myself included even understand how much God is protecting us from the enemy. And so when we talk about being set free, let's not look at it as, oh, I can do this and I can do that. First, let's understand of what you were released from. You have been bound by Satan himself. And you might not even have realized it. And let's not get mad at the world when they act so sinfully. Folks, you should never get mad at a blind person if he steps on your foot. He doesn't know any better, right? So let's not look down at the world and say they're so bad. Folks, they don't know any better. Here we are as Christians. We should know better. And we're still playing with that stuff. So let's not judge the world and think how awful and wicked they are. They're doing the best they can because they're still in slavery. So as we go into this freedom, as we take a look at this. Well, let's go back to Galatians chapter 5. Verse 13, you were called to freedom, brothers, only don't use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh. But through love, serve one another. And then he goes on and says, the whole law uh, is summed up and is fulfilled in one word. Just love your neighbor as yourself. Now we'll come back to the biting and devouring each other in a second here. Two things that it hit me is if we really understood the seriousness of our condition prior to salvation, a lot of things, but two main things would happen. One, we truly love and worship Jesus and thank him for what he's done. And I'm not going to take the time to go in there, but Jesus talked about a woman uh, in Luke chapter 7 who was wiping his feet with her hair and her wiping it, washing his feet with her, her tears and kissing him. And of course, the Simon the Pharisee said, if this guy really were a prophet, he'd know what kind of woman was touching him. And then Jesus made a very interesting statement. He said, Simon, let me ask you a question. These two people owed a debt. One was a huge debt. One was a small debt. The master forgave them both of their debt. Which one will love him the most? And the guy says, well, I think the one that held the bigger debt. And Jesus said, you've judged correctly because those who have been forgiven much love much. Those who have been forgiven little love little. Now, keep in mind, Jesus has just said, those who have been forgiven much love much. Those who have been forgiven little love little. James chapter 2, verse 10, you remember, says, if you're able to keep all of God's law, yet stumble at just one point, you're guilty what? You're guilty as if you broke it all. So let me ask you a question. Is there anybody that's been forgiven of more sins than others, according to the scriptures? No, if I'm guilty as if I broke it all by breaking one. When Jesus died for me and when Jesus forgave me of my sins, I was just as guilty as Osama bin Laden. Right? Then what's Jesus saying then when he says, those who've been forgiven much, love much. Those who've been forgiven little, love little. Let me paraphrase it for you. Those who realize they've been forgiven much, love much. Those who think they've been forgiven little, love little. Hey, don't you know the Pharisees thought they'd been forgiven? I mean, they did the sacrifices. They, you know, they did all that stuff. You know, they understood that there had to be atonement of some sort. But they didn't think they needed it that much. They didn't think they were that bad. They didn't think they, they were that bad. I'm glad I'm not like the publican. Exactly. I'm glad I'm not like the publican or like this guy here. Exactly. Folks, be careful. 
Some of us who grew up in church, who were saved at a young age, have probably grown up with the mindset of, I've been forgiven because there's no one righteous, not even one. But I haven't been forgiven that much. We don't realize that we've been set free from bondage to Satan. And we'll love much if we really understand that we've been, how much we've been forgiven. The second thing is this. We will want to tell others about this freedom and forgiveness. Now, if you want to write this down and look at it later, go to John 4 on your own and take a look at verses 27 through 42. John 7, 27 through 42. That's where Jesus is with the woman at the well. John chapter 4, verses 27 through 42. Jesus with the woman at the well. And, of course, he deals with her sin and her issue. And he actually, would you believe this? That's the first time he admitted that he was the Messiah. We have recorded the first time he says, I am the Messiah, and it's to that lady at the well, the Samaritan. And her response is to run into the city and tell everybody, I think I found him. A second part, first part is, if we really understand how we've, what we've been set free from, we will love and truly worship him. Second thing is, we, will have, we won't have to have anybody twist our arm to try to get us to go tell somebody. We won't have to go through a training to get us to get better at going out and telling somebody. You won't need a guilt trip or a guilt sermon to get you to go knock on the door of your neighbors. If you really understand what you've been set free from, you won't be able to help but telling somebody else. Let's be honest. Some of you find a new restaurant around. What's the first thing you do? You start telling everybody, man, you've got to eat here. Or you've got you to see the size of the ice cream they serve at this place. Or you read a book and wow, what a book. You know what I'm saying? It's natural for us when something affects us and changes our life and has an impact on us. We want to tell somebody about it. This is between you and the Lord. Do you really understand that you've been set free? Or when you hear the word freedom, do you think, so I can do this? So I can do, we haven't understood really what God has done. And I'm just going to let the Spirit take it from there and we'll go from there. But then the Bible says that we're to use our freedom to love others and to serve others. But before we can love others as ourselves, we must receive God's love for ourselves. And let's take some time to look at that. Go with me to Psalm 51. As you're turning there, let me just say this. When I serve others in order to hopefully get God's love, which is how I did it for the longest time, and how most Christians today do, when we serve others in order to hopefully get God's love, I'm actually serving myself. Right? Help me out. Why am I serving myself by serving others in order to get God's love? I'm trying to make myself look good. I'm doing it for who? Them or for, for me? And there's a tendency in a lot of Christians that, you know, they'll, they'll do service. But you're doing service in the hopes that somebody will notice or that you'll get the points or that God will pat you on the back. Well, you're weird if you get joy come, just comes from doing it. But no, actually, you're right. You're actually right, Gene, because that is how it's supposed to be. God does bless you when you do it with the right motives. But unfortunately, many of us, service was just something we had to do because that was the Christian thing to do. And it never came out of the right attitude of our heart. I know I did. I'll be honest with you. Many of my years in ministry visitation on Monday nights or Tuesday night, depending on what church I was in, or even Wednesday night prayer service. It was something you're supposed to do. Joy comes when he explicitly asks, you know he asks, and you obey, then there's joy. Mm -hmm. That's when. Listen to Psalm 51. Listen to verses 1 through 17. 
There's something that goes on in David's prayer here. He's committed sin with Bathsheba. Uh, and now he says this. David says, Have mercy on me, O God, according to your steadfast love, according to your abundant mercy. Blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. I love how he's just saying, you got to do it. you gotta, you got to make me clean. For I know my transgression and my sin is ever before me. Against you, you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight, so that you may be justified in your words and blameless in your judgment. In other words, David's saying something that we husbands have a hard time saying to our wives. You were right. That's what he's saying. You're right. Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity, and in sin did my mother conceive me. In other words, I got this sin problem has been with me since I was born, since I was created. Behold, you delight in truth in the inward being, and you teach me wisdom in the secret heart. Purge me with hyssop, and I shall be clean. Wash me, and I shall be whiter than snow. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones that you have broken rejoice. Hide your face from my sins and blot out all my iniquities. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not away from your presence, and take not your Holy Spirit from me. Let me just say real quickly, at this point in the time period of God's way of working, He would put His Spirit upon people, and He would take it off, as we saw with Saul. Now, as you know, now that after the cross, because of Jesus, the Spirit comes to indwell us. He doesn't come upon us. He comes to indwell us, and He'll never leave us nor forsake us. But at this moment, He realized, hey, I don't want to be one of the ones like Saul, whom you removed your Spirit. I don't want you to take your Spirit from me. And then He says to verse 12, Restore to me the joy of your salvation, and uphold me with a willing spirit. What's that next word? Then. Then. Then I will teach transgressors your ways, and sinners will return to you. Deliver me from blood guiltiness, O God, O God of my salvation, and my tongue will sing aloud of your righteousness. O Lord, open my lips, and my mouth will declare your praise. For you will not delight in sacrifice, or I'd give it, or you would not be pleased with a burnt offering. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart, O God, you will not despise." David says, you know what, I could sit here and try to come up with all these things I could do in order to make you love me again. I could even promise that I'll go tell people how awesome you are. You don't want that. What you want is repentance. And here I am. I realize you were right. I am a sinner. I have broken your law. I've done what I wasn't supposed to do. And the only way I can be made clean is if you give it to me. If you wash me. And so, God, would you just wash me clean? And when you do, I'll tell everybody how awesome you are because of what you've done, not me doing it in order to get you to do something. Do you understand? But I know I grew up thinking, and I was told by a lot of people in church, that I had to go feel sorry enough. I had to do some things to make God. He, I will never lose my relationship, but he didn't like me at this moment. And I had to do some things in order to be liked. I hope none of you grew up like that, but that's how I grew up. And this was a horrible, horrible way to grow up, really not understanding who God is. But I actually think that for a lot of us, and this is where we're going to go. You're going to see this come out in Paul's letter here in Galatians. I think for a lot of us, how many of us have really received God's love? How many of us have really received God's forgiveness? Because if we really have, the Bible says that God's poured out his love into our hearts through the Holy Spirit, which he's given us. Did you catch that word? Poured out. 
It's a picture of an overflow, isn't it? That means the love of God will be so, if you've really received it, it'll be overflowing. You have no problem loving the people around you. You have no problem serving the people around you. But too many of us, I don't think, have fully received God's love to the point that it's easy for us to love others because we're still trying to earn God's love. If you're still trying to earn God's love, have you really received it? I don't think so. Now, I'm not saying you're not saved. Please don't hear me wrong. I'm not saying you're not saved. I'm saying you don't understand his, his attitude towards you, his love towards you. And when you really start to receive it and understand it, the natural outflow will be just to love other people around you. When you really are feeling good, things don't bother you as much as they used to. You ever notice that in your marriages, by the way? If you're feeling good, your spouse may do something that normally would bug you, but it didn't bug you that time. Why? You got a good night's sleep or, you, you know, there's money in the bank account or whatever it is. Your team won. I don't know what it is, but you feel better. When you feel better, you're not as touchy, are you? But boy, when you don't feel good, littlest things set you off, don't they? And in the same way, when we really don't fully understand our position in God and what Christ has done, we aren't real good to the people around us. And you're going to see this as we go back now to Galatians, how this is going to manifest itself. I wrote down in my notes here, those who spend their time examining and comparing everyone else's life around them in order to make themselves feel better have not received God's love, nor do they live in freedom. These are the ones who try to put others into legalistic bondage. By the way, did you catch that attitude when Jesus was dealing with that woman who had been bound? Did you catch that attitude of the Pharisees who quickly stood up and said, there are six days to do work? This should not have totally missed that God was setting someone free and bringing healing physically and spiritually. We're talking something the Bible says makes the angels celebrate. And this guy was more interested in whether or not the rules were being followed. I'm going to read it to you again. Those who spend their time examining and comparing everyone else's life around them in order to make themselves feel better have not received God's love, nor do they live in freedom. These are the ones who try to put others into legalistic bondage. You want to have a, a way to help you understand whether or not you really understand God's love for you? Are you worried about what everybody else is doing? Are you one of those people that sits there in your yard looking out the window to keep track of how many people stepped on your lawn? Are you one of those people that sits in church judging everybody's clothing as they come in or whether or not they raised their hands or shouldn't have raised their hands? Are you someone that's spending your time looking at everybody else and subconsciously Feeling better about yourself because you're not like them? Let me tell you, if that's how you are as a Christian, you haven't received God's love. It's like you said, uh, you know, how, how close can I get? If I look at somebody else, if I look at Jim and say, well, I'm just a little bit better than Jim, so I can get a little closer. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. Well, ultimately, they're miserable. Oh, yeah. Ultimately, they are miserable. But... The sad thing is, if we're honest, that's a picture of most people that show up on Sunday, isn't it? But it doesn't matter. Oh? Don't worry about it. Don't, don't, don't get involved. <laughs> <laughs> and honestly, in that sense, you are correct. You are correct, Chris. And, and that, for each of us, we shouldn't go out and try to fix everything. What about you? And that's what we're going to focus on today. Because, he, well, let's just keep going and we'll see how it, it plays out. All right? 
in order to fully grasp what, what Paul says over now in Galatians 5, verses 16 through 18, let me read the next section. Because where we just left off, he said, love your neighbor as yourself. And like we just said, you can't really do that until you've received God's love yourself. And then he says, of course, if you bite and devour one another, watch out, you'll be consumed by, <laughs> you're not consumed by one another. And we'll come back to that at the end if we get there. All right. And then he goes on and says this in verse 16. And this is what you were talking about, Chris. You made a great transition there. But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you, don't, sorry, the things you want to do. Now, I'm going to take all of those verses that we just read here, verses 16 through 18, and we're going to go back to Romans chapter 7 and see in a long discourse, if you will, or dissertation almost, how Paul deals with this whole concept. And this is the part I talked to you about earlier that I really want you to be focusing on here. Because there's some things that he says here that are, really could be freeing for you, but you've got to grasp what he's saying because it's worded in a way that could, for years, I know for me, caused me a lot of confusion. All right? So let's go to Romans 7. Let's look at verses 14 through 25. Romans 7, verses 14 through 25. Paul says, For we know that the law, God's law, is spiritual, but I'm of the flesh. Sold under sin. For I do not understand my own actions. For I do not do what I want, but I do the very thing I hate. Now, if I do what I do not want, I agree with the law that it is good or that it's right. So now it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells within me. That is in my flesh. For I have the desire to do what is right, but not the ability to carry it out. For I do not do the good I want, but the evil I do not want is what I keep on doing. Now, if I do what I do not want, it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells within me. Now, before we go any further, we've got to deal with a, a wrestling match that has gone on in Christianity for a lot of years. This passage we're reading here has been wrestled by theologians with over. I don't even know if that even made sense grammatically, but you know what I'm saying. Um, theologians have wrestled with this section over this issue. Was Paul talking about his condition before he was saved, or was Paul talking about his condition after he was saved? Actually, the answer is after. And there's two keys in this passage, and thank God he's talking about his experience after, because it matches mine. And if it was before, I'd feel really bad. But listen to what he says here twice. It is no longer I who do it but sin living in me. And we're going to deal with that in a second. So don't let that hang you up. But what does he say? It is no longer. Something has happened. Something has transpired that now is a turning point. And that's evidence of the fact that Paul's talking about his experience after salvation. But he says that he's got this wrestling match going on. He said right there, he wants to do good, as he goes on, and you'll see in a second, in his inner being, in his spirit, he wants to do the will of God. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. He says, I want to do the right thing, but I don't. I don't want to do the wrong thing, but I do. And then he makes this interesting statement. It's not him doing it anymore. It's sin living in him. Now, we've got to deal with that. Some of us are afraid of it, but you shouldn't be if you really understand what he's saying. So it's going to make sec uh, sense in a second here. So let's go pick up where we left off. Look at verse 21. So I find it to be a law that when I want to do right, evil lies close at hand. For I delight in the law of God, 
in my inner being, but I see in my members of my body, my parts, another law waging war against the law of my mind and making me a captive to the law of sin that dwells in my members or in my body. Wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then I myself serve the law of God with my mind, but with my flesh I serve the law of sin. So he's now dealing with this dichotomy that's going on, this, this struggle that's happening. He said, something has happened to me so that when I sin, it's no longer I'm me who's sinning, but it's my flesh. It's the sin that's in me that's causing me to do these things. He said, in my inner being, I delight in God's law. Now, that's very important because when we get to chapter 8, that'll all of a sudden unlock something. In my inner being, I delight in God's law. And I know it's right and good. But when I want to do it, my flesh wins. Who can save me from this struggle? And what's his answer to his question? Who can save him from this struggle? Thank be to God through Jesus. But has he given us the answer to fixing the problem yet? No. no. All he's doing here is laying out the problem he's got. In my inner being... I love God's law and I want to do the right thing. And you're going to find out in a second that those who don't know God, who haven't been redeemed, they don't love God's law, nor can they do so. Further evidence that he's talking about after salvation. But he says, I also got the same problem. My flesh is still under the curse of sin. We've talked about this before. When you were born again, you were made alive. You were passed from death to life. But it happened in your spirit, happened in your spirit, which has been made alive. Your body is still decaying. Your body is still going the way it should because it's under the curse. And because of that, you still have in your flesh a tendency to sin. Now, this is hard. This is where a lot of Gnosticism and a lot of weird stuff started coming out back in the early time of the church age. Because there were those who took this true teaching of Paul and of the scriptures and they started to say then, well, one of two things. One group said, well, the flesh is evil, the spirit is good. So I'm going to treat my flesh bad. I'm going to starve myself or I'll not wear enough clothes so that I'm cold. Or they would beat themselves and cut themselves because they were going to treat their flesh bad to have victory so their spirit would win. You know, they're in a battle between their spirit and their flesh. So I'm going to beat my flesh so my spirit can win. And that's kind of wacky. But you know what? People nowadays cut themselves and do all sorts of weird stuff because they hate themselves. Right. There are those who went to that extreme. There are others who said, you know what? Only the spirit is good. All matter is evil. So it doesn't matter what I do in my body. My spirit is OK. I can do sexual sins. I can do all sorts of stuff. I mean, I'm forgiven. I've already been made new. It's no longer I who's even doing it. So I'm not accountable for what I do. And there were those who went to that extreme. Which is wacky, too, because the Bible talks about that and we'll get to that in time. So right now in this section here, Paul is just laying out the struggle that we face. Now, anybody here agree that you got the same problem? Thank God he put this here. It's one of my favorite passages because, hey, me too. Here's the problem. I totally never understood chapter eight right. I read it wrong and I don't want you to read it wrong. I want you to read it right. So now go with me slowly because the answer to the victory is in chapter eight. All right. Now, in chapter eight, he goes on and says this. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. That's important, folks. Because Paul says he just said, I've, I've been sinning. But there's no condemnation because I'm in Christ. For the law of the spirit of life 
has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. Did you see that? Be for God has done, God has done what the law weakened by the flesh could not do. What has God done that the law couldn't do? Righteous. Made you righteous. That's the answer. What, the, what, is, what has God done through Jesus that the law couldn't do? God has already made you righteous. Now, please hear this. That doesn't mean that we always act righteous. And that's where this struggle is going to be on a daily basis. That's why we need to learn to live in the spirit and not in the flesh. We need to learn to have victory through Christ in this life. Where we actually say no to sin. Where we won't let sin reign in our mortal bodies, as it says in Romans 6. There is a way to have victory. And I can tell you, as a young man who has struggled for all these years with sin, I am experiencing victory. Doesn't, don't hear me, I'm sinless. Don't think that I walk around on a cloud or anything like that. But I'm actually experiencing victory over sin when for years I never did. And to be honest with you, the harder I tried to get victory over sin, the more I sinned. Now, I would never say that because I was a pastor and nobody's supposed to know those things. You know, I'm supposed to look perfect, you know, and my wife's always supposed to smile and she's supposed to play the piano, but she doesn't. And uh, <laughs> God has already done what the law couldn't do because of your flesh. All right. He did it by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh. And for sin, he condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. Here's where I got messed up as a youngster. I got all excited at the first part of Romans 8. And then I got to that verse and I read it this way. Oh, wait a minute. There's condition. Who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. Oh, it doesn't apply to me. Because I walk according to the flesh. Because my flesh wins. And I read it that Paul was saying that this only applied to those who were good Christians. And have you ever read it that way? I did for years. Yeah. I read it that that only applies to the ones who are walking according to the Spirit, not according to their flesh. Um, I'm in trouble. Well, hang on. Before we go any further and get you all messed up, go to verse 9. You, however are not in the flesh, but in the spirit, if in fact the spirit of God lives in you. Do you catch that? Yes. What's the determining factor of whether or not I'm in the spirit or in the flesh? Whether or not you're born again, whether or not you've got the spirit of God. Folks, you may still struggle with sin, but if Christ is in you, and we're going to get to that tonight, if Christ is in you, you are not in the flesh. Does your flesh win sometimes? Yes. But you are not in the flesh if Christ is in you. 2 Corinthians 5, 17 says you are a new creation. The old is gone and the new has come. God has declared you righteous. If you are in Christ Jesus, you are not in the flesh. You are in the spirit. Now we need to learn how to keep in step with the spirit and walk in the spirit. But when God sees you, he does not see you as in the flesh. He sees you as in the spirit. Do you see the, the difference here? For years, I read that thing as, oh, that's only for those who are in the, uh, in the spirit. I'm in the flesh. No, no, no. Because of Jesus, I'm in the spirit. Now go back to verse five. It says, for those who live according to the flesh, those who are not saved, Set their minds on the things of the flesh. But those who live according to the spirit set their minds on the things of the spirit. For to set the mind on the flesh is death. 
But to set the mind on the spirit is life and peace. For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God. For it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it can't. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. Does that describe a Christian? No, no not at all. So what Paul's doing here is he's saying, look, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ. If you're in Christ, he's given you his spirit and his spirit is now in you and you are in the spirit, not the flesh. And when he does this whole description for years, I read that is those who are doing the right things versus doing the wrong things. And of course, like Paul just said, I have the same problem. I keep doing the wrong things. Therefore, I must be in the flesh and not in the spirit. And I tried real hard to get in the spirit. When I was already in the spirit and I didn't know it and I didn't know how to take advantage of what was already there for me. And I kept trying to get better. And by the way, as you try to get better on your own, <laughs> apart from it doesn't work. Apart from him, I can do nothing. All right. You, however, verse nine, are not in the flesh, but in the spirit. If in fact, the spirit of God dwells in you and anyone who does not have the spirit of Christ does not belong to him. But if Christ is in you, this is key. This is where he starts to give us an answer here. If Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, the spirit is life. Because of righteousness. If the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. Now, folks, this is more than just when we get to heaven and we get our new bodies. That is available now because the same Jesus who lived in sinful flesh. Remember, did he ever sin? So you're telling me that Jesus, who was also God, knew how to live in a human body and have victory over temptation. Well, maybe he wasn't tempted well, like we are. Uh -huh. The Bible says he was tempted. And like I love how you put it, Neil. He probably was tempted more than you and I ever were. Because the Bible says he was tempted in every way in which we are, yet without sin. Some of you guys have temptations that aren't temptations to me. Some of, I have temptations that aren't temptations to you. But Jesus experienced all of them. And he never sinned. Therefore, the same Jesus that now lives inside of you has the ability to give victory over sin. Has, you have the ability now within you to say no to sin. One, you've been set free in the fact that it doesn't have power over you anymore. It, you're not its slave. But now you've got to choose on a daily basis and throughout the day, knowing how to now live in the spirit. Because you're already in the spirit, not in the flesh, if Christ is in you. Who will give me victory over the flesh? Thanks be to God through Jesus who gives us the victory. So Paul's now laid it out. They're, you're not going to be condemned if you're in Christ. And not only that, you're not in the flesh, but in the spirit if Jesus is in you. Now let me just make, remind you, he says, those who, 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 aren't, who are in the flesh, who don't have the spirit of God in them, they can't even do the will of God, nor can they please God. They don't even want to. But the fact that you're striving to please God shows you that something's going on inside of you that's not going on inside of them. And now he then goes on and says this, verse 12. So then, brothers, we are debtors not to the flesh to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you'll die. But if by the spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. And by the way, that's already been accomplished and now is being accomplished. For all who are led by the spirit of God are the sons of God. For you didn't receive a spirit of slavery to fall back into fear. 
But you've received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we're the children of God. Now, and then he goes on and says heirs and so on. But I don't want you to miss by getting into the heir stuff what he just said. We have an obligation now because we're in the spirit, not in the flesh, to live according to what? To the spirit and not the flesh. Well, why does he then say, but if you live according to the flesh, you'll die? I thought he said we weren't. No, remember, when he's writing, he's writing to people who claim to be Christians. And as we've been learning all the way through the scriptures, and even here in Galatians, you're going to see it, that Paul doesn't know his audience fully like God knows. And just because someone says they're a Christian doesn't mean they are. And there needs to be warnings in there just as much to those who are kind of playing the game. Look, you, you live according to the flesh, you're not saved. I'm not saying that you, you sin, you're not saved. And that's what we're going to get to in Galatians when he gives us the list and the acts of the flesh are obvious. And here's what the Spirit looks like. And he goes on in Galatians 5 to say, those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. He's not saying if you've ever done these things, you won't go to heaven. We're, we're all in trouble then. What he's saying was, if this characterizes your life, you better examine whether or not the Spirit's in you. And there's nothing wrong with having a wake-up call to that. All right? Now, let's go back to Galatians 5. Isn't that awesome news? Yes. <laughs> we should not make sin our struggle. Or our struggle against, we should not make sin or our struggle against sinful desires our focus, folks. We should focus on Jesus and the new life He has given us, which is empowered by the Holy Spirit within us. And that's why he goes on now saying in verse 16, But I say, walk in the Spirit. And you will not gratify the desires of the, of the flesh. He says that the flesh, as we already know, are, the flesh and the spirit are against each other. All right. The flesh doesn't want to have you do the things you want to do. And then he goes on in verse 19 and says this. Well, let me remind you of verse 18. If you're, if you're led by the spirit, and by the way, if you're led by the spirit, that means you have the spirit. If you're led by the spirit, you are not under law. Now, does led by the spirit mean you follow the spirit? No, it doesn't mean that you do. It means the Spirit's in you. Remember, Jesus is in you, and He's striving to lead you. Now, whether you follow Him or not, that's a daily struggle. But don't read led by the Spirit, meaning, well, I'm not saved. Nuh-uh. There are times I try to lead my children as their parent. Do they always follow? No. Does that mean they're not my child? No, no, no. We have a relationship, and I have a role, and they have a role. In the same way, when it talks about being led of the Spirit, it doesn't mean that you did good or you didn't do good. It just simply means that you have the Spirit of God and He's your Master, He's your Lord. All right? So if, you have, if you're led of the Spirit, in other words, if you have the Spirit, you're not under law. Now, he then says this, and look closely what he does here. A lot of people have missed this. The works of the flesh are evident. I mean, he's been talking about this struggle between the flesh and the Spirit. And he goes into the detail now to give you some examples Here's what the flesh looks like. Here's what someone who lives in the flesh looks like. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery. Some of your translations say witchcraft. Pretty serious stuff, don't you think? Jump down to uh, verse 21. Drunkenness, orgies. Now, right in the middle between Sexual immorality, sensuality, sorcery, idolatry, and drunkenness, and orgies, all that bad stuff. Look at what he also puts. Enmity, 
strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy. Folks, look closely. He's describing a lot of our churches. Isn't that describing a lot of our churches? You ever been to a business meeting lately? Last night, my pastor, we got talking. Sorry. Look at what he's saying. He, just because you say you're Christian doesn't mean that you are. Please don't hear this wrong. The question is, is Jesus in you? On the whole, do you evidence God's spirit or the flesh? Now, I feel like we're going to need to stop here because I just there's too big of a section that I don't have time to really get into. What we're going to do tonight is we're just going to stop here and we're just going to deal with this. These areas of rivalry and envy and strife and divisions and dissensions. This doesn't sound like someone who has received God's love and is living a life of love because of their full faith in and dependence on Jesus. Do you understand what I'm saying? We've been talking about. The evidence of faith is the life manifested in love, right? If you, we talked about this last week. If you really trust God, you won't care if you've been overlooked. You won't care if someone else got picked. You won't try to promote yourself. You, you, you'll really be willing to be generous because you really understand God's love for you. You really understand that you're okay. You, really, you, don't, you don't have to earn it. You're righteous in Christ Jesus. And now, because of the fact that you've received His love, it's easy to love people around you. Because you're not trying to live for self. You're not selfish anymore because God's given you so much, you're good. But when we spend all our time in anger and fits of rage and frustration and all this kind of stuff, I want you to hear what I'm saying. Some of you are going to be under the conviction of the Holy Spirit. You're saying, well, Jim, that's me. Does that mean I'm not saved? Only you and God will know that answer. But it may tell you whether you've been losing to the flesh more than you've been letting the Spirit have victory. And so some of you, you're going to hear this as we get into it next week and, and deal with it in more detail. You're going to hear this teaching as a, a awakening to, I need to really know what it means to walk in the Spirit. What it really means to let Jesus, who's in me, I know He's there, to let Him have the victory. Some of you, you might come to realize you don't know Him. That's okay. Don't be too proud to admit that, because it's far more important that you get that situation taken care of, don't you? So it's, it's been too easy for people to say they're a Christian, and then they go to our churches and they blend in with everybody else. And we don't look any different. I want, as we get one further in this study, for the Spirit of God to be allowed to teach you where you really are. Are you needing to learn to walk in the Spirit? Or are you needing to be saved? And that's not my call. That's not anybody else's call. That's between you and God. But as we get into evidences of the Spirit and evidences of the flesh, let's not rush through this and we'll let God take us to where He wants us to go. I like what you said to me as we, we, before we started tonight, Marge. Let's not take inventory of anybody else. Let's take our own inventory. Amen. Let me pray for us. Father, I thank you for this chance to open your word and to allow you to speak to us. And it's hard for me as the preacher to stop right here, but I feel like this is where you want us to, to just take a break and allow you to speak to us. And then we'll go from here next week. Lord, again, thank you for the fact that you are patient, that you love us, that you help us to understand. And today you've shown us if we're in you, we're not under condemnation. This isn't a guilt thing. This is a loving teaching to get us to really understand what it means to take advantage of what is in us through the Spirit that's within us and that you can give us victory. We can say no to the flesh. But Lord, at the same time, this might also be a great way to find out whether or not we really are saved. Not just if we said we prayed a prayer or we walked an aisle. We might come to realize we've never had evidence of the Spirit within us.
So Lord, take this time for the reasons why you had Paul write it, not just for that day, but for us. And we ask this in your name. Amen.